Hello fellow Earthlings and other galactic and intergalactic beings out there, and welcome to another episode of the Nervous Ending Podcast. In this episode, we're speaking with Eugene Iende, who is an explorer of consciousness, a meditation teacher, a licensed marriage and family counselor, as well as a yogi well-versed in Tantra. He's the author of the wonderful book, Dimensions of Being, an explorer's guide to consciousness, which examines the various levels of consciousness throughout time and history, starting with the singularity prior to the Big Bang through evolution to the present day. He references his own personal experiences at each of the various stages or levels of consciousness, from infancy and childhood to his teenage years and adulthood, including his explorations with entheogens and meditation exercises. It's a very interesting read, and I'm looking forward to his next book. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, and on with the show. Are we there yet? Yep, we're here. Planet Earth. Finally. That was quite a journey. Wasn't sure we were going to get through the Kuiper Belt. Did you see that comet on the way in? That was cool. Yeah, whatever. A comet. I see him all the time. This is Planet Earth? Yep, this is Earth. I'm bored. Can we go home now? We can go, but we gotta pick up some supplements first, and then we're gonna go see the Nervous Sending show. Oh good, I love Nervous Sending! Why can't we just get supplements delivered to our planet? Well, they only deliver on planet Earth. Oh, that's right, they haven't figured out interplanetary delivery. But we don't even have an address on planet Earth. Yeah, but we know a guy. Who? Bob? I can't stand that guy. Well, he's alright. He's a little sketchy. Anyway, he's got an address in the USA, so that's good. They'll deliver to Bob, and then we can take off. Uh, okay, but we're gonna go to the Nervous Sending Show, right? For sure, we wouldn't want to miss that. We're their biggest fans. We traveled five light years to see them. Best band in the galaxy. Hey, do you still have that address to order supplements that'll get us 10% off? Uh, yeah, let me check. Bloop, bloop, bleep, bleep. Uh, Okay, heavenlystreams.com slash nerve ascending. Okay, cool, yeah, and then it looks like we can get over 20,000 different supplements. Best supplements in the galaxy, that's the ones, yeah, cool. Um, anything you need? How about some of that algae? Yeah, we'll get some of that. Get you some D3, get you some C, get you some mitochondrial support, what you need. Oh, that mushroom stuff. That one's good for the space viruses. Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, and this is kind of a tricky question. Um, do you remember a time of not being? So, the ant is expressing the same consciousness that your grandmother is, but through the limitations of that particular organism. 
what you are trying to get to. And of course, this, this war is just a footnote on the real issue, which is that our planet is dying. Now you take a Buddha, or a Bodhisattva you mentioned, and that being has moved through the layers to the point where that individual can now open, like a flower, to that which is beyond their, themselves, the transpersonal aspect. They asked him, so what do you think is the end game? I mean, what is the point of human evolution? What, where does evolution going? And he looked and he said, you know, the goal of human evolution is a good party. <laughs> How can the entire cosmos come from something smaller than a proton? Every brain transceives consciousness differently. A hummingbird's reality is very different than a snail's reality. But there is no space-time independent of the observer. Hi, Eugene. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, guys. Well, it's happy to, I'm happy to be here with you two and uh, have a conversation. Great. Yeah, we really enjoyed your book, and uh, so we wanted to, let's see, talk about, I guess, yeah, just talk about the book, and... Um, talk about the book, and where you're going now, and um, just your perspectives on life. I feel like you're going to be an interesting person to talk to. Uh, thank you. Well, yeah, so, the, so this book I wrote, you know, uh, the year 2000 for a, a, a thesis for my master's degree in transpersonal psychology. Um, but then it's morphed over the years as I've kind of been collecting new pieces of data and information, both uh, externally in the world, scientifically, but also internally, as I continue to probe the depths of my own consciousness. Because in a way, this book was, was my own journey, framed in, 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 in various different uh, maps, if you will, maps of consciousness. Uh, yogic, Buddhist, uh, scientific, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, this book, the the final, the final sort of copy was um, published twenty twelve. So I've kind of distanced myself a little bit from the mo from that model, and I'm kind of playing with a different model that we can kind of get into later. Uh, one that's not so uh, stratified and layered, but one that is more grounded in direct personal experience. And what do I mean by that? Um, what is it that we experience moment to moment? And what all of us can agree on is that we're conscious, we're aware. Uh, so I think that has some deep, deep implications and, um, and then we could get into, but, but yeah. Cool. So this is the next book that you're working on? You're yeah, I'm kind of working on a, another book right now. Um, like a sequel? Uh, it's not even a sequel. It's just a whole different line of okay, thinking cool. in a way. It's less sort of evolutionary and developmental and stages related and more grounded on direct experience. Direct experience. But it's about consciousness as well. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, well, this, but this book, um, you reference, you know, Timothy Leary's eight circuit model of consciousness, the Leary theory. And that, so that seems to be like the big theme of this dimensions of being your, you know, this book. Um, and you know, that was really interesting. You start talking about the void where the, the singularity at the beginning of it all, or before beyond time and space, you know, where nothing is, it's just silence. There's a quantum probabilistic fluctuation, right? So that's the, it's a good place to start. The, yeah. <laughs> the quantum yeah. probabilistic fluctuation, <laughs> which, um, it's the quantum probabilistic fluctuation, that little fluctuation, right? 
that causes the ripple, creates a ripple in the fabric of the zero point field. And we don't know why, right? We don't know why that happened. So, okay, so a couple of thoughts there. Um, at first, a comment on the Larry theory. Yeah, absolutely. So Larry was uh, instrumental in helping me break, you know, past the, the cognitive uh, prison that we create for ourselves. You know, he really helped me sort of push the boundaries intellectually. Did you ever meet him? No, I never met him. But um, loved his work, and then uh, and then of course uh, Ken Wilber. Now the Leary theory is not his. Uh, I mean the eight layers is not him. It's it's sort of a spectrum of consciousness. It's an archetypal map of consciousness that the yogis sort of were were tuned into. You know thousands of years before Leary. I mean for instance the chakra system is basically the same model. Okay. Um, and and maybe we can go through the dimensions at some point. But also Ken Wilber, so I, I don't know if you know Ken mm -hmm. Wilber, he's, he's an incredible integral philosopher who's integrated. He's got the four-quadrant model. The four quadrants, uh, exactly, yeah, where he says basically that consciousness expresses itself in four quadrants, right? Internal, subjective, mm -hmm. and external, objective, in the collective, and in the individual. Okay. okay? And then within those quadrants, there's the, the levels, which Leary talked about and his very sort of, uh, but Leary was uh, a materialist in the end. You know, his model was really tuning into energy levels that exist in the material plane. So I thought that was an interesting way to sort of to, um, to explore consciousness. But just going back a little bit, um, what I've come to realize is that I don't really know anything. <laughs> Right. So Ooh, my question, when I when currently uh, when I start inquiring, the question I ask myself is, what's the one thing I know for sure? Right. Beyond debate, beyond philosophizing, beyond all these ideas, theories, and concepts, what's the one thing I know for sure? That you're conscious. Right. Well, I want to ask you to that, that or your listeners, take a moment and ask yourself that deep question. What's the one thing you know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt? What comes up for both of you? This right here, right now? Yeah, this, exactly. this moment. Presence, right? it's like, That's all. It exists. Exactly. So when I right. ask myself that question, and I ask that myself that question before any conversation or debate, what's the one thing I know for sure? I don't know I'm the product of a brain. I have no idea. I don't know if I'm the spark of a, a godhead or what. That's another concept. I have no idea what that means even if I really start probing. But what I do know for sure is that I am. In this moment, I am. And that, that I am, that I am aware that I am conscious in this moment is fundamental. In fact, it's the only element of my experience that does not change. Mm. My thoughts are constantly coming and going, different ideas, contemplating. My emotions fluctuate like the ocean tides. Even the physical sort of, quote-unquote, physical world is constantly refreshing itself, right? New scenes, new, new experiences, new, new perceptual um, experiences are happening but that's all impermanent that's all coming and going the i am the awareness the i ever present right so that's my first clue is that that's the one thing i know for sure you can't debate me away from that knowing that understanding right we can debate well, we could. for hours about the sure neuro about circuitry of the brain and whether that produces consciousness or not guess you got to do something right um, but in the end of the day, you know, when you're sitting there with the mystery of being, 
and all these fun thoughts and ideas and concepts and theories fall away, and you're left with the mystery. Right. And that mystery is being, is awareness. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, when you turn the camera around and start to explore consciousness on its own terms, now that's where it gets interesting, right? Because now you're, you're um, moving your awareness away from the sensory realm mm -hmm. and turning it on itself. Right. And what I've noticed through a variety of uh, modalities and practices, such as meditation, uh, entheogenic work, and so forth, is that consciousness is not a flat thing. There's layers. There's depth. And that the deeper you go, the bigger it gets. Um, so yeah, so so that so for me, that's kind of the the um, the really exciting part is that we are all at the leading edge. Nobody knows more about your consciousness than you, right? So, and we are all scientists of consciousness by just the nature and the fact of being here on this planet right now. We might be preoccupied in other adventures, but in the end of the day, the fundamental question, who are we? What are we? I think comes to everybody's mind, especially as we start to uh, face the mortality of this body-mind system, right? Mm -hmm. Because we do know that that's going to end in time, that the body-mind is in somehow uh, part of this space-time matrix. But what's interesting, when you look at awareness itself, a couple of things become apparent. And again, as I, as I go through these, I want the listener and, and you to, to really kind of feel this, see if this makes sense for you internally. Number one, awareness itself is ever-present. It doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It is fundamental to this moment and every other moment. So ever-present meaning it's not bound by time. Right? Your awareness in your own experience, doesn't have a beginning or an end. It just is. I have a question then. So, your but your book talks about consciousness, the different levels, right? So you're, ta I mean, you're talking about, and you also say ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, which is a really interesting exploration of how, you know, the human starts as a single cell in the mother's womb and then morphing through the stages of evolution, fish, amphibian, reptile, mammal to human, embryo. Is the awareness you're talking about right now, okay, and, and it's a higher level of awareness, I'm assuming, when you, when you look inwardly at that internal witness, but the awareness that you're talking about, I'm assuming, is that different for, like, say, a baby, mm -hmm. you know, a, an infant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or what about the, the, the fetus in the womb? Mm-hmm. You know, what is that consciousness? What is that level of awareness? And where does that come in? Yeah. You know what I'm saying is like, when you're saying that consciousness is timeless, mm -hmm. right? If that were the case, how does it make sense in the context of evolution, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, so, because evolution is implies that there's time there's a timeline happening right evolution happens over time it's a moving from one level to another level now consciousness also seems to move from one level to another level how then can t consciousness be this sort of constant uh 
This constant, right. Constant presence yeah. is my question, I guess. That's a fantastic question. And basically, that's the exploration that I'm pursuing on, my, on the second book. Um, so let's be clear. Evolution and the story of how we got here is a story, right? That we, we can observe in nature. We can see sort of, you know, single cells and fish, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, et cetera, humans. And we can really sort of discern the history of of a form and pattern consciousness itself when you look at it in its own terms um doesn't evolve awareness is just is just just the radiance okay so okay so let's follow this through okay so if we start to look at awareness in its own terms number one what we notice is that it's ever present therefore it is not in time it is timeless right number two awareness itself is formless. There's no form to awareness. It inhabits forms, such as a thought, a dream, or a perceptual experience. But in and of itself, there is no form to awareness. It's formless. It's dimensionless. There is no dimension to it. It inhabits multiple dimensions, which we can get into. But in and of itself, if you turn your awareness in on itself and rest, you will notice that it is spaceless and timeless. Okay. And thirdly, and this is the clencher, right? From your own perspective, your own awareness, there's just one of it. There's just one awareness. The thought of you are over there and I am over here is a thought. It's a construct. It's an idea. It's a projection. Okay? So awareness itself is the singularity. And by the way, that's the title of my new book. <laughs> you are the singularity. So, right. So, but, okay. and then, then all the scientific paradoxes make sense because if it's a purely uh, materialistic singularity, and just to define for the, the listeners, singularity is a concept in physics that, uh, that says that everything in the cosmos came from a unified source, a single point of infinite energy. Well, they, they give it lip service, but they have no idea what that is. How can the entire cosmos come from something smaller than a proton? I mean, it just does not make logical sense. So something is going on there. Something doesn't quite fit. Number one, here's the other paradox. If time emerged from that Big Bang, what happened before the Big Bang? Rationally, it doesn't make sense. Because if time started there, what happened before time started? Unless time is a circle. Okay, it's a Ooh, circle. okay that's good, yeah. And then the other one is space. Right, space came from that singularity. So, what did the Big Bang bang into? <laughs> right, right. So, okay. So, if we look at awareness on its own terms, beyond the thoughts, beyond theories, beyond the concept, our concepts and cognitive maps, awareness itself shows itself to be primary. Right, it shows itself to be the ground of every experience that we could possibly have, no matter how we choose to think about it. So here's sort of a visual. So if awareness is a field, but it's even weirder than that because a field requires some space dimensions, right? Uh, but just, just to play with this, if it's a field and it's ever-present and it's just one of it, then the individual consciousness that a cell, a fish, or your grandmother has is that we are actual transceivers. We're receiving and transmitting that consciousness. But the minute that pure awareness, that pure consciousness gets filtered through your own particular nervous system, then it, it diffracts 
the world into that reality. Into that reality, right? Uh, and then and then you transmit, right? So in a sense, we are filtering, we are receiving this consciousness, moving it through our circuits and identifying with it as this is me. Okay? But now every nervous system, every brain transceives consciousness differently. A hummingbird's reality is very different than a snail's reality, right? So there is no space-time uh, uh, independent of the observer. And this is now where quantum physics and relativistic physics comes in, which is what the bedrock of material science is coming to, is that, holy shit, you need consciousness or else there isn't there, anything there, right? Like so the, the ancient... Weather wave particle theory, the, that um, theory that, you know, the, the conscious observation of the wave or particle collapsing i can't remember exactly sorry the, the yeah the two sled experiment where you it seems that our awareness or consciousness of the actual wave particle determines whether it will be a wave or a particle is that is exactly. something like that yeah and that's basically what blew the 20th century mind right when they did this double lit slit experiment and now it's been reproduced countless times um which is interesting because Basically, and this is overly simplified, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but the double slit experiment is where you shoot light through two, two slits, right? And there's an interference pattern. And if there's an interference pattern, it means these are waves, right? Sort of, right? Right. So when the observer is not observing and they shoot these, these particles, they look at it later and they say, oh, this is a wave. But the minute you measure it in a particular way, right. it shows up as a particle, as a photon. Now, question, the wave... That's a probability wave. It's like whether it could it could be here or here. That's, exactly. That's the the yeah. wave is indicating that it's still a probability. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you observe it, it becomes something. A particle of yeah, exactly. It sort okay. Of, so that's, they call it the collapse of the wave function. So it becomes right. an actuality from this probability. Right. Really interesting. Well, that yeah. makes sense because you got to stop it to measure it. Exactly. I wonder if yeah. we existed. So we actually exist as probabilities before we become manifest right i mean is that the idea like that before the baby is even a fetus in the womb like this could be even ontology ontology recapitulates i mean phylogeny um this is an example of like before matter before the big bang we existed as a probability right well that's kind of the idea right that it's all a probability until there's there, there's an observation that collapses the wave into an actuality yeah Right, so so that that's kind of an interesting thing, and that's kind of that's coming straight out of uh, physics. Right, not even uh, talking about mysticism or or these yeah, other deep spiritual. Yeah, it sounds like that Christian thing, as it was in the beginning, as it is now, as it ever will be. Yeah, so so maybe some of the listeners might be asking, well, so what? So okay, so now, yeah. so this is a different model. So how does that affect anything? Right. And I think it has deep implications because we all know that the world is pretty fucked up right now, right? And there's oh, yeah, a there's real a war and yeah. So Ukraine. people are separate, right? And if we really get down to it, it is, it is an issue in consciousness. Then, in a sense, we are operating with a faulty operating system, a faulty mm -hmm. program, and and this is the materialism that's sort of uh, infected our education, our politics, mm -hmm. our uh, economics. Our environmental relationship, right? Because we see everything as separate, as machines, right? So if it's, we're all material objects without any inherent consciousness, then 
then there's no inherent meaning other than just getting what you need and, and you know, screw the rest. So if we start to realize that maybe we are a part of this unified consciousness, that'll kind of make you think twice before bombing your neighbor, right? Well, yeah, because we're all <laughs> one, right? That's exactly. what you're saying in your book is that we're all part of the same, you know, source. We're all basically one consciousness. We go back to that singularity source. You're saying that we're, yeah, you know, that we all kind of, we're like individual expressions of this one consciousness. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to get basically back to source, which mm-hmm. happens, well, eventually, hopefully, once the person gets enlightened and then they go back, but then they become a bodhisattva and mm-hmm. come back and try to help the rest of us get enlightened. <laughs> right. That idea. That's, so, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, that seems like a materialistic sort of view as a, of the whole thing, too. What? The going and coming back that, that there's somewhere well, out there to get to yeah that's a good point well yeah i don't well, know let's unpack the word enlightenment right so what does enlightenment mean the way i kind of work with that enlightened uh the light from within the mm-hmm. enlight right yeah and what is that light awareness so basically the presence that you are right now that we are that your listener is is enlightenment Right? There's nothing fancy. There's no stage. It's just that? awareness without any distortion. Right? You hear that, listeners? You are enlightened. <laughs> but here's the thing. We are so caught in our stories, in our traumas, in our, in our ideas, in our theories, that, uh, and we're identified to those, that we miss a very simple insight. That awareness itself, presence, is it. Okay. And if it is timeless as we kind of inferred at the beginning, then yeah, there is, like you mentioned, Justin, there's nowhere to get to. We are already it, right? It's almost like the spiral, right, is moving around the center. And, and if you look at the spiral, it's always seeking that center, but it never actually gets there. The center is actually empty, right? So from the perspective of the spiral, as from the perspective of individual beings, we're trying to unify with something or other. But... You are that which you are trying to get to, if that makes any sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we're done. (laughs) This is like under, no. But okay, your book is talking about, I mean, you said, you know, that awareness, which you're talking about, I'm assuming, is different from the different levels of consciousness. There are different levels of consciousness that you talk about in the book. Yes. So they are different from the consciousness that you're talking about, this kind of underlying consciousness, which you eventually can become aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Be, you become aware of your own primordial connection to source, mm-hmm. your own, you know, that we are the singularity mm-hmm. kind of, you become connected yeah. to that underlying awareness that you're talking about. But that happens when you do work or get, take, um, I don't know, DMT or what, whatever you mm-hmm. have, you know, something that, Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you're advocating that you're you're ad- actually advocating that people meditate mm-hmm. to really go inward and look at the witness that yes. consciousness that underlying awareness that you're talking about. Exactly. And until yeah. we do that, you know, we're just kind of hopefully rising through the various levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, great questions. Um well, so what happens in meditation is that you slow down the thoughts, right? The thinking mind. Mm-hmm. You quiet the mind. 
so that eventually you can appreciate what's beneath it, what's behind the thoughts, right? What is behind all your thoughts, right? And if you sort of sit and rest and learn to rest in that, in that which is the practice of meditation, which is, you know, I really encourage listeners to really explore that because behind the thoughts is vast spaciousness. Mm-hmm. In other words, peace, freedom, compassion, love, right? And these are all just human words, ideas, and constructs, but the experience is expansive. The experience is a arriving, a coming home, coming home, right? Um, but that, it's an interesting thing because the awareness is received from multiple angles, right? So a cell, a, a single cell, is receiving the same awareness that we are, but it's being filtered through its much more simplified structure and expressing that sentience in a very uh, much more limited way. Mm-hmm. Very different than your dog, for instance, who's receiving that same, is partaking of the same unified field or the same unified consciousness, mm-hmm. but expressing it through the doggy filters, right? <laughs> uh, and then you have, you know, the regular human who's invested in life and working through their jobs and relationships and family. They're partaking of the same sublime consciousness but it's being filtered through that matrix of associations and experiences and identities. Mm-hmm. Now you take a Buddha or a Bodhisattva you mentioned, and that being has moved through the layers to the point where that individual can now open like a flower to that which is beyond their, themselves, the transpersonal aspect of who they are. And let's be clear, this awareness is transpersonal. Awareness is not yours, it's not mine. It's ever-present, right? But each individual nervous system and brain is like that antenna, partaking of that same field of presence. So, so why is that important? Again, when we place it in a historical context, we see that when you start to notice that we're all partaking of the same energy field, the same information field, we're literally a single organism, right? Um, we're just a little diseased at this point. Um, well, you talked about the holographic nature of the universe or the multiverse even. And so we're like these receivers, our cells, our DNA even. Um, we're like holographically receiving information maybe Mm -hmm. but can you explain because that was a really interesting part Mm -hmm. i thought did you think the holographic universe idea oh yeah the holographic fractal nature of reality yeah we were interested that's Mm -hmm. an interesting viewpoint and you know i've i (laughs) (laughs) seem to find these identities and perspectives and you know, they become in a way a kind of trap and the trap of biology obsesses me mm. and seeing the the organism as a biological you know, structure with all its little tiny substructures, which very much look like little robots mm-hmm. and robotic in nature and mm-hmm. been obsessed with the mitochondria in the mm. last month or two. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's just a fascinating aspect of it because it's there. Yeah. You can find it. You can look under a microscope and see these things and mm-hmm. and realize it. And you know, it is a part of us, but we don't really feel it. Yeah. There's some deeper sort of 
tuning in, we can start to feel vibrations on that subtle level, yeah, which probably have some biological resonance. But there is this overall feeling as you get past all of that where you feel almost bodiless. Mm. And there's that kind of unified sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's that's part of the transpersonal, mm-hmm. like interacting with the biological. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's where the mystery lies, right? So how does, say, a mitochondria or a cell uh, made out of proteins uh, and so forth, how does it achieve sentience? See, in biology, they still haven't figured out at what point all these, quote-unquote, uh, inanimate uh, uh, atoms came together to produce life. Where is the line between inanimate and animate? What is the animating force in, in biology, in, in nature, say? Seems to be polarity. Mm. Seems to be this, the, the magnetic plus and minus back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's manifest as waves as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you, you get these polarities that create these spirals that manifest into forms, which, right? But then the problem with current biology and physics, you know, but they're starting, and this is starting to break through, is their equations don't fully work until you bring consciousness back into the equation, right? Um, and, and, and in biology, so, so the model that, that we're kind of talking about, that awareness is ever-present, right? Um, biology is a strategy for that awareness to express itself in a, in a planetary system. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, it's still a mystery, right? But it's what they call the hard problem in science, how you get consciousness from unconscious material, right? right. Because the premise of materialism is that matter is primary and this consciousness mm-hmm. is an epiphenomenon of a very complexified brain. Um, but then the question of self-awareness is also, okay, so at what point do we kind of go from an animal, which is instinctual and very sentient and alive and in some sense conscious, but lacks self-awareness? So in the evolution of humans, at what point did we went, go from an ape, fully governed by unconscious instinctual patterns, to a self-aware, self-reflecting, self-conscious being, right? So there's these mysteries uh, in science that are fully beyond its grasp because we're looking at the empirical evidence. And what does empirical evidence means? It's that we are using our senses to gather our data. But who's watching? What is the be- who is making the observation in the first place? You know, Historically, we put aside consciousness, I think it was Descartes, right? Say, okay, consciousness will leave it with the Pope. They have moral authority of the inner worlds, and then science will take over the external world, the, the, the physical stuff. And then everybody agreed, and, you know, and everybody was happy about that. But as science progressed in its probing, it realized it's, it's missing some element, which we know is us, <laughs> the person making the probe, the person creating the theories, the person observing and so forth. So what would it look like to include consciousness in these equations and in this perspective mm-hmm. and the materialist? I guess do do displace materialism or is it a, a unification with? How does it inform it or what does it yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, so if you turn the equation on it, it's sort of uh, 
on its side, or you know. So, so basically, the current materialistic theory is that out of this material universe arises consciousness, this little epiphenomena on our little beautiful uh, planet. But what if we turn that equation around and place consciousness as the foundation, as the ground, and that the material universe is an expression of that consciousness? Then, um, then a lot of things become clear. So if there's this initial pure consciousness, right, without dimensionality, that big bangs into form, mm -hmm. then every atom, every particle, every cell, every planet is in some sense expressing that consciousness through the limitations of its own structure. Okay? So the ant is expressing the same consciousness that your grandmother is, but through the limitations of that particular organism, right? which is going to look very different. Um, or the, the quark expressing that consciousness through its own limitations. Right? So consciousness looks very differently depending on what stage or level it is expressing itself at. A reptile is expressing that same consciousness very differently than Einstein is. Right? It's the same consciousness, but being filtered and run through different models, different nervous systems, different brains that happen to be evolving over time in complexity, in, in ability to, to express that consciousness. I guess that one question that comes up is the idea of responsibility. Mm. You know, as a conscious, a conscious and aware, I guess you can make a distinction between awareness and consciousness. Mm -hmm. So you become, you become aware of your consciousness, and I think that lays you with a heavier responsibility than an ant, <laughs> just filling out the program, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. And I think as we get into the human the human realm, which is personally what I'm concerned with, mm -hmm. and, you know, you see a lot of problems developing from this distorted perspective, yes. materialist perspective. Absolutely. And so so I can, I can see a benefit to bringing consciousness into our awareness. Well, way to bring it home. Absolutely, right. So responsibility, the way I like to think of that is ability to respond, right, which is a moment-to-moment uh, expression. I was kind of a rebel growing up and a responsibility. I always kind of disliked that word. Oh, be responsible. What does that mean? Right. But ability to respond, it gives it a much uh, more intimate moment to moment sort of uh, arrow. Um, and absolutely, Justin, I mean, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist by profession. So I work with people and, um, and the distortions that they get caught up in you know, because of life experiences, traumas, et cetera. There's a lot of things, right? But my deep faith and knowing, right, is that behind the distortion, behind the trauma, behind the suffering, there's a deep light that is already whole, that is already perfect, which we call enlightenment or we're calling pure awareness. If you allow yourself to rest in presence or awareness, you'll notice that there's nothing missing from awareness. Right? Notice, as we're sitting here and having this discussion, if you're resting in that awareness, you're whole. It's complete. But then a thought comes, but, right? <laughs> the buts come up, right? But yeah, but, you know, he but. looked at me weird or, yeah, and, <laughs> or my, you know, my uncle hit me when I was little, right? And then all these buts come up and things come up and it's the mind creating these stories which filter that awareness, that pristine, pure, perfect awareness through these filters. Okay, but 
<laughs> I'm trying to fucking meditate over here. <laughs> but one of the beautiful things you said in your book um, was that consciousness wants to, I think you said it wants to evolve. You know, that spirit wants to manifest and experience the diversity of its deepest creations. Consciousness wants to express itself in ascending levels of complexity and beauty. It wants to know itself in novel and creative ways, and it wants to play and dance throughout eternity. So that is a beautiful idea, right, of consciousness. So even though, you know, you can get to this, okay, uh, perfect, light, beautiful, peace, bliss, there seems to be something in that that also wants to experience more than simply that state, right? That, I mean, the tantra, you talk, you, you, you practice tantra, right? You're an experienced tantric practitioner. And you talk about the philosophy of tantra, embracing the yin and the yang, embracing the dark and the light, embracing the physical and material reality, as well as that bliss and light and metaphysical spirit world. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, actually. <laughs> no, actually, that, <laughs> but, that's really great because you kind of bring it full circle. Yeah. So, I think it was Joseph Campbell um, that talked about the hero's journey, right? Where you, um, you know, mountains are just mountains, but then you start to probe the nature of reality. You go on your journey and you start to realize that things aren't really as they seem, right? Uh, so you confront your demons, you cross the gate, and you achieve this, this supreme freedom and enlightenment, right? Where mountains are no longer just mountains, right? Mm -hmm. But now what, right? Because in a sense, and you said, Elia, is that the universe wants to express itself. I mean, the universe is this ongoing sort of movement towards greater beauty, greater complexity, deeper, mm -hmm. uh, deeper sentience, and so forth. Um, so this, this hero's journey where the renunciate wants to go to the cave and uh, step off the wheel of birth and death and achieve nirvana, that's only half of the equation, right? Because the universe has, is already in nirvana. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From that timeless place, there's nothing happening. There's no time or space. It just is. Mm -hmm. So it's not something we have to get to. Remember, it is already ever present. But now what do you do, right? And in fact, the universe has been there eternally because that's all there is. It's just this. So then, then there's the return. That's, and you mentioned the bodhisattva. This is a being who has realized who they are, basically God. You know, As, Again, that's just a word. But they've realized that they are the source of all things. They are one with this universal they've consciousness. they that state of non-duality. But then what do you do? You stay in your cave and, and just chill in, in bliss the rest of eternity? No, part of it is that compassion comes in. And you notice that other aspects of yourself are suffering. They are lost in ignorance, right? As evidenced by turning on the news. So then there's a return. There's a return to the marketplace, um, which is very well outlined by Campbell's sort of the return mm -hmm. of the hero, right? But this time there's something different. Now you are free. Now you are not uh, in the grips of anxiety because you realize... It's just a dance. It's just a play. So you come back and do your best to 
to to help others, right? Find find fulfillment, find peace, find a little bit of joy, a little bit of humor, right? I mean, shit, we're all going to die eventually. So what are we doing here anyways, right? Are we going to like come together and, and celebrate or or keep fighting and accumulating crap so that, you know, our, our kin have to deal with it? Real quick, a, a statement by uh, Terrence McKenna. I don't know if you're familiar with Terrence oh, McKenna. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, they asked him, so what do you think is the end game? I mean, what is the point of human evolution? What, where does evolution going? And he looked and he said, you know, the goal of human evolution is a good party, <laughs> right? Where we can all just get together and dance and enjoy and, and make love, right? Wow. What else are we doing here, right? So when someone has reached enlightenment, like a bodhisattva, right? Now, and I'm assuming that then they're reborn, they're reincarnated, they come back. Is that the idea? Yeah, well, I, I don't really know all that. I mean, okay. yeah, so the, the, the traditions, yes, they talk about that, that bodhisattva, right. you know, that you achieve samadhi, uh, maha samadhi right. in your death, and then you, out of compassion, you, you can stay in nirvana for eternity, but out of compassion, the being decides to return to earth to help others find that peace, that freedom, that love. So then there's an interesting question, which is that I have that that brings up is like, okay, so that, implies that they would remember who they were before and in the previous life and remember their purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems that they just, but how does that work if they, they'd have to go back and, you know, to the beginning, the infant, the child, like go back through that life experience. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I'm fascinated by the question of like the continuation of consciousness, but not only does this, primal awareness that you're talking about which is interesting but the ability to actually remember the story mm. of who we were mm-hmm. you know and and i guess some people there's these stories about past life recalls and this kind of thing that i, I don't know i'm i'm a, maybe i'm a little bit hung up on the question mm-hmm. of like does individual consciousness continue after the body's death yeah. or can it for some enlightened Mm-hmm. You know, some people who've just reached that level. Yeah. You know, I'm not too sure on that one. Um, I'm not that interested in my stories, so I think all stories are just stories. I, I mean, I think there is continuity in consciousness as evidenced by what is the one thing that is always present, consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, our experience is that consciousness does not um, leave the scene. I mean, thoughts come and go, ideas come and go, constructs come and go, bodies come and go. Mm-hmm. But the evidence so far is uh, that awareness doesn't go anywhere, right? Well, let me ask you this, and this is kind of a trippy question. Um, do you remember a time of not being? No. That doesn't make sense, does it? No. Do you remember not being? No, that all doesn't... you know is being. Pretty much. Being is all we know. How would that even be possible to remember not being? <laughs> right? You... It isn't. It doesn't. You like because you're aware at that point, so you must be. I am, therefore, I am. I mean, I, I, I am, therefore, think I am. There I, for I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh-huh. you know, yeah, I am aware, therefore, I am. Yeah. Um, so well, that just kills Descartes. I know. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it's about time, too. <laughs> I, I think that because I, I have read your whole book and I have tons of underlinings, and I just wanted to address 
So I found it interesting that through deep advanced meditation practice, one can eventually achieve the ability to remain conscious and aware during like different states of sleep, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. during like the theta state where you're dreaming, you can kind of, person can lucidly dream and then even get to the point where they can remain aware during deep sleep. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like unfathomable. Like how can you be awake when you're in deep sleep? Yeah. Great, great question, right? Because there's three situations where that idea of not being comes up, right? So the question, the first question was, do you remember a moment of not being? And the answer is no. But there are three situations where where somebody would argue, right? Is deep dreamless sleep where there's no dream, right? Where's being then, right? Most people go unconscious. Right. Two, coma, right? Or, or a, a deep anesthetic. Right. Uh, and then death, right? Death is interesting because we have near-death experiences that actually sort of shake that notion apart, but we'll leave that aside for now. The dream, dreamless sleep is interesting. So basically we all, every single human goes through three different uh, states of consciousness, the waking, the dreaming, and then deep dreamless sleep where there is no content. There's no thought, there's no imagery, there's just deep sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And most people are completely unconscious of everything. And then slowly they start to dream and then the world arises when they wake up. So I was at this um, Vipassana retreat. So there's these 10 day uh, silent meditation retreats that I uh, go to. Uh, and, um, and this was kind of a couple of years ago. And I was sort of exploring that notion. Okay, where, what is non-being? What, is there such a thing as non-being? And so I was doing this meditation, uh, and then in the seventh day, a really interesting thing happened. When I went to sleep, uh, I was so grounded in this witnessing, this pure witnessing, right? Because that's your practice. You're just witnessing all day long and resting in that witness. So when, I, when my body-mind started to go to sleep, my witness remained, because I had been training in that way for so long, right? So I noticed how my body-mind went to sleep, and then my mind started dreaming, so I was wow. aware of my mind began to dream. It wasn't so much a lucid dream where I was jumping into the dream and doing, making things happen. I was just present and aware of the dreaming mind happening. Wow. I saw my dream character. I saw the whole thing. But the most interesting part happened when the dreaming mind all of a sudden started to subside. There was no dream. There was no content. There was no identity. But there was pure awareness. I was resting in that awareness, and my whole body, mind, and the whole world had disappeared. And this is the void, right? So I entered this this pure awareness moment. And then, all of a sudden, a stirring, a movement, a vibration, and my mind began to dream again. And I noticed how out of that deep dreamless sleep came the dream. And then all of a sudden, I started feeling my body, my senses, and then I awoken into this world again noticing how the world of matter arose in my experience. So that, for me, was proof for myself that when we go into deep, dreamless sleep, awareness doesn't go anywhere. Consciousness does not disappear. What happens is that the mind shuts down, the body shuts down, but, and here's an insight into time, your mind is what creates a past and a future. Without your mind, there is no time. So this is why when you fall asleep at night and you wake up, no time has elapsed. Have you noticed? When you go to sleep and then you wake up, it feels like 
there was no time. Right? There is no time. Time well, I'm disappears. I'm an insomniac, so, you know, uh-huh. I do notice a little bit. I toss and turn a lot. Yeah. But yeah. Right? But have you noticed that? That when you do wake up, there was no lapse of time. Because it's your mind that creates. So if there's no mind, there's no memory, there's no time. Right. I, I get what you're saying. Like, I will, what reminds me more of that is when I was, I, I went under general anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for like four hours, I was under general anesthesia. Mm-hmm. I have no recollection of that. Yes. I have a recollection of the needle going in, me getting general anesthesia, and then waking up. Exactly. That's an example for me that makes sense because I don't just immediately fall asleep at night. Right. But that's amazing to me that you remained aware and then you kind of, what is that like to see your own mind? Like, cause, and to me, that's like, wait, there's a, my mind is like having a hard time grappling with this. Like, wait, but how could you be asleep and still be aware? Mm-hmm. You know, because to me, that means you're awake, right? Right, right. So how do you know that you're actually asleep? Well, there's no mind. There's, you know, there's <laughs> nothing. I mean, it's a nothingness experience, right? It's a complete emptiness um, because the world of, of the senses only appears when that awareness is looking outward, right? But when that shuts down, and it's very similar to anesthesia. Or like out-of-body experiences when people go out and they're like looking at their body and themselves and their mind, they're all asleep, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm up here and watching myself get operated on. It must be like that similar. I'm guessing that you had a sort of similar like to a near-death experience when when you were able to go into that deep sleep state and, and observe yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was really interesting. And I can't say that I, I, that happens all the time. But in this, this might sort of help your insomnia because I started waking up at 3.30 in the morning, just boom. And at first I would struggle with that. I'd sort of toss and turn thinking, oh, I got to get up. I'm going to be so tired tomorrow. I have to go to work, right? But then I, I thought, well, maybe it's the universe inviting me to pay attention. So now when I wake up at 3.30, I, I will immediately sit in meditation and just go into that deep meditation of being present. And, and then I can notice my body-mind start to go to sleep, the dreaming mind start to you know, happen. So I, I notice the whole sequence. Um, so that's been a portal for me to actually explore those deeper states mm. at nighttime. You know, sort of really cultivating the presence or the awareness or the witness so that I can observe uh, what's arising. Yeah. Wow. I'm so fascinated by all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I just... Well, me too, you know, and I I don't claim to really know anything other than awareness. I mean, again, that's the only thing I really know. The rest are just stories that I'm spinning to try to to communicate what is being observed, right? But it seems that you have cultivated um, an awareness of your own internal witness through deep meditation, Mm -hmm. um, through a lot of practicing of that. And you said you you actually had some tantric initiation into a tantric. uh, Was it tantric? Yeah. Yeah, this was, gosh, back in the early 90s. so it's a funny story. So I, I was I started meditating with a group of Buddhists, you know, mindfulness, and I was getting incredible results. I was fi- finding more peace in life, less stress. I was able to kind of move through stuff. 
But then, so my roommate at the time invited me to go uh, to a meditation class. And back then I was so kind of, you know, a little bit conceited. Oh, I know how to meditate. I don't need to go. I'm not going to pay the instructor. But hey, I'll go check it out anyways. So I brought him three oranges for my orange tree, which is silly. And he said, okay, he, he took me in. And then I started to realize this, this guy was so many light years beyond anything that I ever knew. I mean, this guy was a, a, a true master true meditation master. Anyway, we developed a relationship and then he offered me initiation into his tantric lineage. Now here in the West, when we say tantra, everybody thinks, oh, sex, right? It can't be further from the truth. I mean, sex is only a part of a much larger tradition mm-hmm. of, of, of these spiritual practice. Anyhow, so he, he taught me a mantra and a set of meditation practices that uh, started to, to give me access to really deep states of consciousness, deep samadhis. And, um, and, and yeah, so he initiated me into his lineage and it's, it's been amazing, um, to work with that. Not bad for three oranges, huh? Not bad. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, yeah. And then he eventually invited me to the small private group that he was, uh, sort of cultivating and, um, yeah, did a lot of work that way. And you, he said, you said he gave you a secret mantra yeah. that was passed down through to his guru. Lineage, I mean, he tradition. studied in India, and this this had the deep, Indian tradition. This is an Indian, yeah, lineage, um, Indian tantra, yeah. And for those of us who aren't in, like, I'm not, you know, in the know of this secret um, tantric practice, but um, I'm just I've started meditating every day, and I haven't reached enlightenment yet, but I'm <laughs> working on it. No, but I mean. What I mean, I I love one of the things I loved about your book was this. You know, you you have some suggestions for things we can do to when we're meditating to try and really get into that mm-hmm. space of observing the witness. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to do that a little bit. I, I appreciated those exercises in your book. Mm-hmm. In fact, everybody go out and get this book. I highly, highly recommend this book. It's it's beyond being really interesting to read. It offers this. Um, these insights. Um, so how long would you recommend somebody meditate daily to get to this state of like, where you're really getting to that mm-hmm. point where you're, you can go beyond the body and get mm-hmm. to that state of non-duality and, yeah. you know, get to the white light that you're talking about. Cause I feel like maybe I'm not meditating long enough mm-hmm. or I'm not doing it right or yeah, so that's a complex question, right? Because in a sense, we already are awareness. So that's the direct path, is to recognize that deep sense of being in this moment as, quote-unquote, the goal, right? Um, because if you're chasing states of mind, then you're really uh, moving away from that which you already are, right? What do you mean if I'm chasing states? If you're sort of looking for that mystical experience or that oh. samadhi experience, you're you're moving towards something that you are not at this point. Because in the end, it's not about different states of consciousness. States have a beginning and an end, right? Mm-hmm. They come and they go. Borders. Exactly. Right. Right. So, but the deeper question is, who is having the different experiences, the different states, right? So in a way, um, I mean, these mystical experiences are really excellent, but what about the lower experiences of depression, of anxiety? Do we push those away and only seek those high moments, right? Because in a sense, that still keeps you stuck in a certain duality. 
I want more bliss in my life. I want less hard experiences, emotions, right? But in a way, um, and this is Buddha's four noble truths, right? That the nature of suffering is rooted in our, our aversion to that which we do have and our craving for that which we don't have, right? That craving and aversion is what keeps the mind in a state of tension and suffering, right? But who is it that's having the experiences, right? What is the unchanging element in every experience, not just the high experiences, but the low ones as well, right? Because once you discover who it is that is having those, the witness, the awareness, the presence, then you start to discover freedom. And then you can be depressed or blissed out, and it really doesn't matter at that point. It's just different modifications of that awareness that is the ground of all experiences. Does that make sense? Well, kind of, but does it make sense that sometimes I'm pissed off and I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're human, right? I mean, and so, but having said that, there are practices that allow us to cultivate, you know, uh, more of this consciousness, right? So if I quiet my organism or my nervous system through meditation, through yoga, and I start to sort of really slow down all the, the mental crap, you begin to tune to deeper and deeper spaces, right? That are peaceful, uh, equanimous, spacious. Sounds like it could be addictive. It can, yeah. And I was very addicted to meditation for many years, right? Um, but then I realized that I was still chasing something, right? And, and so, so when you figure that out, then you enter that, that thing that you just mentioned, non-duality. Right. Non-duality is an ever-present expression of what is. Non-duality is not some future thing that you're going to achieve after 20 years of meditation and yoga and, and vegan diet, right? Uh, non-duality is this moment. Mm -hmm. Non-duality is always ever-present, always here now, right? But our capacity to tune to that resonance mm -hmm. is a function of how much work we've done on ourselves, right? So there, mm. there are things that we can do to actually access and open to that which already is, right? That's a really good point. I feel, I feel like, you know, sometimes when I'm meditating, and you mentioned this in your book, um, like past, stuff from my past will come up and it'll get into my mind and I'll think about it like, oh, well, there was that, you know, there's that baggage. Mm -hmm. There's that issue. Mm -hmm. and that must be coming in there for a reason because maybe I need to process this. Yeah. So maybe there's like, like internal work and processing that needs to happen before I can get past that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So like you even talked about, I'm sorry, you talked mm -hmm. about that in your book with dealing with um, people meditating and then having to go maybe through some therapy before absolutely. they could really advance in their meditation. Ex yeah. I think absolutely. I'm probably in that state. No, and that's a really great point. Yeah, because once you start quieting the surface mind, just the thoughts of what I'm going to do tomorrow and what I did yesterday and all these things, once all that begins to quiet, then the deeper structures of the mind, what people mm -hmm. call the unconscious, the personal unconscious, comes to the surface. You begin to notice some tensions, some unprocessed material from maybe your childhood, maybe your right. past, right? And, and that all begins to come to the surface. Um, in a sense... And it requires attention. It requires attending. It requires compassion and presence, right? The last thing you want to do is push that back down because right. that's going to continually keep you keep you stuck. 
And this is what's happening in the whole psychedelic space now, because they're, as you well know, they're really exploring uh, psychedelics and theogens for psychotherapy. Mm. And what it does, it actually disrupts those filters that you quiet down in your meditation practice. Well, psychedelics literally dissolve the the the, the filters, the ego, the mind. Um, um, they're seeing that there's a structure in the brain called the default mode network, which is uh, all these neural networks that uh, come together to create the sense of me. Like right? the ego. The ego. That right? just like Basically. dissolves when you take some yeah. of these. Yeah, the high doses, it dissolves that. But what happens is that all the underlying stuff that's been sort of buried comes to surface. All the, like you said, unconscious material, all mm-hmm. the stuff that you haven't worked on. Right. And the opportunity there is incredible, right? You get a chance to look at it, to move through it, to integrate, and ultimately to release it and let go. And if you follow the model through, then once you quiet the personal stuff, then you start to deal with transpersonal, like collective unconscious type materials, like our historical trauma, our our racial trauma. Mm. You know, we are all carriers of the trauma of our history, right? History, the trauma of patriarchy is embedded in our own systems. So in a sense, we have to come to terms with that too, right? So there's a lot of cleaning up to do to really enter that pure freedom uh, that we're calling enlightenment. So there's a lot of stuff to, to process before you can actually rest in that freedom. Did you find for your personal experience, like, um, did, did you have some of that past life or, or like um, ancestral trauma or whatever you're talking about come through before yeah. you were able to get to that point of like... Pure awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I'd had many experiences um, through various methods, of course. To where, yeah, I experienced the suffering of the world, you know, wow. the suffering of of people, and um, that's heavy. Yeah, well, it's us. I mean, there's no duality, right? I mean, if it is just one consciousness expressing itself through all these different forms, then in a sense, it's my story. The yeah. collective story is our story, and and part of the healing that we are actually being called to face is this collective trauma. And unfortunately, it's playing out right now in this current war. You know, this trauma is just so deep. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think we're being called to 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 look at that and and heal and and hopefully move to a new spiral of creation. Are you feeling people are responding to that call? You feel people are really getting the call. Is there like a spiritual reawakening that you're noticing? I'm in kind of my own little bubble, but I am finding that like we've we've been through this whole pandemic for the last two years, and now we see this war rising up, and it's it's definitely a call. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know how numbed we are and how how locked away everybody is. But it's important for me to get out more. I know yeah. that, and I feel I feel called to do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why it's so confusing, Justin, because there's all of the above. I mean, there there definitely are subgroups of people awakening, you know, and you hear a lot of these people having these breakthrough experiences and awakenings and so forth. And there's a lot of really positive change that's kind of happening. But simultaneously, people are uh, fragmenting into these polarized belief systems. And this is what I think is so dangerous about beliefs in general about 
the stories we tell ourselves about what we believe in, right? Um, because it it polarizes you from those that believe something other than what you believe, right? No matter what that is, where you whether you believe in democratic values or communist values or spiritual practice, whatever your belief is, it puts you at odds with the one the, a person that doesn't share those beliefs, right? So I think we really have to look at that, you know, and 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 really explore the commonality, the common ground, which I can, which again we explored is it's us, it's, it's us, it's, it's awareness, it's, it's this awareness. moment, right? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and I think this call. Um, I think we all feel it. I think we all feel that something is really off with our world right now and um and we're feeling the shifts and of course this this war is just a footnote on the real issue which is that our planet is dying yeah we are are you know the planet is not other than us it is our body our collective body uh, just like you as a human organism there's no one you there's billions and trillions of little yous which are called single cells coming together working together to create the unified expression of you. Well, similarly, we, with the rest of biology, are the the body, the cells of the Gaian Gaia. organism, right? So, in a sense, we we really need to, um, yeah, evolve to the next, you know, operating system. And is that is that where we're getting into um, transhumanism and uh, whatever cybernetics? Yeah, that's that a whole weird thing, right? I yeah. I really don't know. I used to believe that, yeah, so technology pretty, yeah. technology was going to be a part of the solution and help us sort of, you know... Was um, that just another trap? Well, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, the, the damage that, for instance, cell phones and social media is having on the, the psyche of the youth, for instance, yeah. is really overwhelming. You know, I'm, a, I, I'm also a counselor at a high school, and kids are completely... Uh, trapped in their own media universes. Yeah. I go out at lunch and everybody's in their own worlds. Nobody's interacting, nobody's talking, nobody's playing, right? So in a sense, these these technologies that are meant for connecting are in fact disconnecting. Right. So so I think these technologies have a lot of potential, but there's a deep shadow side that, that we're really seeing play out in the uh, mental health of our populations. Yeah, we need. I think the consciousness needs to evolve before we can really use the technologies in a more positive and healthy way. I think that you, you even mentioned that in your book. You're saying, well, the con the consciousness has to, you know, be able to be responsible to to deal with these really yeah. powerful technologies. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, and that's my faith. You know, I see these these young kids who basically are digital natives, right? They were born into these digital, so right? It is weird, right? And and right now, I think, that, yeah, they're. I mean, we gave these kids who have not developed their neocortex and you know prefrontal cortex yet, right? And then we give them the most powerful tool invented by the human species to do as they will. Of course, they're going to get into mischief. Of course, they're going to look at you know, naked bodies and whatever else they can get into that's taboo. Of course, right? What are we thinking? Giving these poor kids these tools with unlimited access, right? right. We've already lost them. They are already there. But here's my hope, is that eventually they're going to get bored of the TikTok 
silly imagery and do something with these technologies yeah. to self-organize around the project of saving this this world. Well, I think, yeah, there's value in also just in-person, face-to-face communication, which I think we've really seen with this whole pandemic is like just how much we've missed that and the yeah. isolation and the the kind of, I'm imagining you've seen some of that, like the depression or damage that the isolation mm-hmm. from in-person, holistic yes. communication, which is, because there is something to be said about body, mind, connection, and, you know, being in with a person, physical contact, organic, mm-hmm. you know, oh, 100%. In, instead of through these mediated, these like technologically mediated uh you know interactions i can't i mean to be honest like i i see the value in zoom at least you can and that's a little bit more you can see the person you can see their facial expressions that's great but i much prefer to be i'm glad that we're doing this in person and not through zoom yeah it's it's much nicer to me it's 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 a much more i mean aside from the sound quality being better um (laughs) it's just it's a better experience it's more holistic organic it feels better yeah. I think it's healthier personally. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, when when the whole lockdown happened, I started doing a lot of my clients through Zoom. I just couldn't do it. I mean, I, I did it for a while, and but after three sessions in front of a computer, it's not the same thing. And, you know, and 80% of communication is nonverbal, right? It's body gestures, postures, facial expressions. <laughs> There's just so much richness to to the sensory experience. Um, yeah, and when you collapse it into a two-dimensional, you know, electronic blur on your screen, mm-hmm. you lose a lot for sure. Wait, for what sure. did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also think another issue with the technology is that our physical biology, our our bodies, I mean, microwave radiation is a thing, you know, mm-hmm. that has an effect on us. And I've never actually had a cell phone, partly because that really bothers me. The EMF radiation that I believe is actually connected to cancer and has, so these are, this is a concern. I mean, I would love to, maybe we could evolve to the point where that's not an issue or, but I do think that currently what, what's happened is the technologies have gotten ahead of us and we don't, we our ability gotten ahead of our ability to like kind of protect ourselves, be healthy with these technologies. I mean, I use the internet every day and I think it's great. It is, it's a great tool for connecting, for communication, for music sharing. We just submitted our uh, tiny desk concert submission. Shout out NPR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> we hope to win. We probably won't, but. Uh-huh. So you're, you're a musician <laughs> as well, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, so there's this, where do songs come from? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you, yeah, as a musician, you can appreciate that when you're really in the zone is when your mind is quiet, right? Mm-hmm. When you're not thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? But you're mm-hmm. really feeling into to what wants to come out. It's that receiver bit, I feel, is really turned right? on at that point. Yeah. And there's this interaction with others. And I think that there's there's something in the ether that we can tune into that's really quite magical. Maybe we can't get all the details of, you know, all the lectures that are on the YouTube or whatever it is that we're looking at on the online and all the books that ever were written just sitting there in the palm of your hand. But 
something in the air that, that 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 comes through and we can access and maybe in the future we we can get a little more precise in what we're accessing and what we're delivering telepathically absolutely maybe there's something in there yeah well absolutely justin and i think that sort of points to sort of this concept in in indian philosophy uh, of the akashic field mm-hmm. the akashic records right which which is this idea that um there's a field that has all the information that was and will ever be sort of imprinted. Uh, and if that's available as consciousness, right? I mean, this, I don't think this is separate from, con- I think it is what consciousness is, is that this field of, of information that if, if we learn how to more precisely tune and systematically tune and um, mine information, insight, uh, artistic uh, expression from that, which I think that's what artists and musicians actually do. I mean, I mean, there's incredible artists and musicians. Oh, you, know, you both are one of those, right? Oh, you you tap you. into that realm, right? And that's how you produce your your works. You know, even in scientific insight, Einstein said his best ideas were in those sort of reverie states of kind of falling asleep. Now, who was it that was they would hold a a, a ball? I think was it Einstein that would hold the ball and then like he wanted to just wake himself up right before he fell asleep. Uh, I don't know. One of these physicists, or uh-huh. maybe a writer. But it was yeah. a way to get into that hypnagogic, wake up in that hypnagogic state. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. And so the Akashic, the Akashic field idea is like, that's bringing in that holographic exactly. universe idea. That's it. Yes. That, I mean, this is another thing in your book, you talked about each cell having, having it being like a little, uh, little holograph or a little part of the holograph of the whole thing so Mm -hmm. like if you took a piece of how do do i describe this like the the dna right every little bit of dna Mm -hmm. stores all the information for the whole thing is that what you're saying with the holographic idea? Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, that's, no, that's kind of what we... sort of is established, the DNA molecule, which is incredibly <laughs> mysterious, right? That the entire, you know, biology is stored in this right. double helix of four codons. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, right? And how that uh, initiates assembly lines of proteins that create hearts and lungs and and brains and so forth right all stored in the genetic material mm-hmm. and that's a very holographic thing right that the whole is in the part mm-hmm. right so so i think like i think you mentioned justin i think the whole universe is structured in this holographic manner where the the whole is literally encapsulated in the part mm-hmm. um this physicist uh uh, Nassim Haramein, I don't know. Nassim, if, yeah, yeah. He's incredible, right? And he's been able to to discover, uh, and this is kind of complicated and we won't get into it, but but basically the proton has the information of the entire universe. The pro- Let's get into it because it's really yeah, fascinating. I, I, hopefully I'll, I'll do it justice. But basically um, the proton is made up of the all these fluctuating... Uh, Microtubules? No, no. So the proton, right, is what makes the atom, right? But the proton itself is made out of these little fluctuations in the quantum vacuum, the quantum field, right? Now, if you add, so each one of these little fluctuations called a Planck length, which is the smallest conceivable unit that can be measured, if you add all those up, it creates incredible amounts of energy, right? This is the zero-point energy that they're describing 
that the physicists are talking about, that basically in the quantum vacuum of space, there's more energy in a cubic centimeter than there is in the entire uh, vis visible universe. Yes, exactly, right? So if you add up all those fluctuations and you get a number of the proton, the mass is incredibly high, but it's equal to the mass of all the visible matter in the universe. So the proton, in essence, has the information of the whole universe. Look into Nassim Haramein. He, he, he can explain it the way much better. Wow. But I'm sorry, I brought the microtubules in there because that was one of the things that they were talking, you in your book, talking about the microtubules being like, being like the antenna for this information to come through. The yeah, that was uh, uh, Stuart Hameroff's oh, okay. uh, theory. Yeah. Um, basically, he's saying, yeah, that, that basically the microtubules, which are the, base, the, the scaffolding of every neuron and every cell right. in the body, is small enough. And he sees it as a bit of an antenna. That's actually where the reception of that quantum information is happening. Right, which is from that Akashic Yeah, field. from that deeper field. Idea. Yeah. Oh, Back wow. Connective tissue. <laughs> Fascinated with the fascia. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was the acupuncture thing? I think that's what we're writing with. Yeah, yeah. How are we doing on time? There's more to talk about. Definitely more to talk about. <laughs> um, but anyway, guys, thank you for for giving me the microphone. You know, and oh no, this is thank you for talk talking. Yeah. And yeah. when's your book coming out? Oh, I don't know. You know, a lot of projects kind of in the wings here. Um, it's slow. It's organic. Uh, I'm not fully focused on it yet, but. Um, I'm playing around with it maybe in a year or two and yeah but just to kind of bring it home what this everything that we're talking about it really can be encapsulated in something that John Lennon said um, and that um, he said love is the answer right and to me that really is all you really need to know because what are we talking about awareness what is awareness other than a connection a, a sense of belonging a intimate sense of being part of this universe mm -hmm. and when you love somebody it is so painful because you are literally at the deepest place one being mm -hmm. that's why love is so intense because it's the intimacy of of being itself mm. does that make sense yeah um so at the deepest core we are we are this love right and this universe is the expression of love what what else could it be, right? Mm. I don't know. It's, is that too far out? And to no, me, I that, see. And to me, I see, right? That yeah. makes sense. Um, I mean, it does seem to be the ultimate purpose is love. Yeah. When you think about it, why are we here? Yeah. To uh, love, right? Yeah. This to musician, uh, singer, writer, Jules Graves, I don't know if you know her, yeah. beautiful uh, soul. Um, and she had a song that basically said, love is the answer to every question, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we here? To love. Where did we come from? From love, right? What is the essence of everything? Love. Love is all you need. Right? Exactly. The Beatles totally were onto something, right? Yeah. Yeah. But not just as a human emotion, right? But as a deep sense of connection, connectedness to, to this mystery that we call existence. And it is a mystery, no matter how much we try to talk about it. Ultimately, we are resting in the mystery. This is, this is, you brought up a thing. I had a question about, we were talking about love the other day. And um, we use this one word, love. In the Greeks, they have different words for love. 
There's the eros, which is this romantic love. Mm-hmm. There's the philos, which is a different kind of love. Yeah. Are there, is, that a, is there a better way to understand love? Are there different kinds of love? emotional mm. thing. Are different levels of love in the same way that there's different levels of consciousness? Oh, that's good. I like that. No, I'm wondering. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that romantic love. There's the love for a child. But then there's the Christ love or the Buddha love, right? The, the love for, for all sentient beings. So I think there's definitely depths of love. Depths of love, okay. Yeah. So, and at the deepest love, there's just one love. Hmm. Right? One love. One love, right? As our friend Bob, <laughs> Mr. Marley told us, right? One, one love. love. And, and again, the, this goes beyond the rational mind. The rational mind will say, well, what, what, what does that mean? Or, you know. No, it's a feeling. It's a deep intuition, a deep knowing that when we quiet all the complexities of our Crazy monkey minds, just like that, right? (laughs) Then we can actually rest in this thing we call love. And from there, we have a morality. We have an ethics. We have uh, a teleos, right? Right? Because they say, well, so what is, what are we moving towards? If we tune deeply in, we know. We know. All humans want beauty. They want love. They want goodness. They want to be held and loved. And, and, and that's what I think is the driving force of evolution, is to come back to that home. But here's the secret. Here's the cosmic giggle. We're already there. We never left it, right? We're only making believe we left it so that we can play our human games and have these dramas, right? Yeah. Right? Because if we're all resting in that eternity and that love, then, you know, we're done. Game over. We're bored. Yeah. <laughs> like, so hey, shit, yeah. let's big bang another universe and you know. Wow. Turn out hall, put on a show. Yeah, let's put on a show. A and, party. All right. All right. So everybody just love one another and we are or actually we just we are love, right? That's it. So that kind of slows down the whole frantic frenetic, you know, I gotta evolve, I gotta, you know, eat all these vegetables and get all healthy and quiet my mind. We're already it. Let's just relax a little bit. I'm all set. Yeah, you're all set. So you're, you're done, right? <laughs> yeah, man, but then I'm what done. do we do? But see, the question is, and this is the Bodhisattva, then what do you do? Once you've realized, once you touch that, now what? See, now you return. But with a little bit of a trickster kind of uh, twinkle in your eye. <laughs> oh, we yeah. are the tricksters, by the way. We both got I that know. Um, the... archetype. Nice. Yeah, I see that. Tricksters. I also got a uh, seeker. I think that's correct for me. Mm. Seeker, creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, magician. Nice, nice. I got magician too, but yeah. I took a lot of different tests because I don't know. <laughs> I have OCD, so I'm like, oh, I wonder what. Like, yeah, mm. I think I'm. I think, but I think we're all aspects of. We all have a little bit of all of them in us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, we we just maybe express one. Have a tendency towards one or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like a hologram, you know, we have all of it, but we express an aspect of it. Yeah. Right? Um, so it makes it fun to be an individual. But you, you can't lose sight of the fact that we're an individual as part of a bigger whole. I guess yes. you can, but that makes you kind of a dick. <laughs> concentration. Yeah. yeah. Concentration of one particular uh, part of that whole concentration i don't know what i'm trying to say 
No, yeah, absolutely. No, and and Justin, you mentioned it, right? So we are individuals, and we want to honor the the unique attributes that we have, right? The personal stuff, especially as artists. Like being exactly. individual and yeah. unique is really important to the art. Yeah, so. yeah, but not lose connection to to that which connects us to the to the unity behind the individual, right? right? And you know that middle path, as they say, right, of honoring the whole and the part. That we're both individual humans working out our flaws and our quirky things, right? But also we are uh, great spirit. We are the Tao. We are Brahma. We are the Jawe. We are the Godhead, right? Uh, the pure consciousness, the universal mind, whatever you want to call this, this mystery. We are that. While simultaneously, we are these flawed little humans with little egoic needs and wants and preoccupations and traumas. Right now, the thing is, is that the more we tap into that transpersonal core, the more these these aspects that keep us suffering, the more those things can be allowed to be released and let go, so that we can actually really enjoy this life and um, this game of life and really play it fully. Right, with all the emotions, it doesn't mean you stop feeling your emotion, your your depressions and your anxieties and your angers and frustrations. That's all part of it. You're not just embracing the entire spectrum of creation, right? No aversion, no no craving, just a showing up to what is and what wants to be revealed in that moment. So yeah. beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been really fun and interesting. Yeah. Enlightening. So it's not just going to be all jello. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you guys for taking your time and um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, we'd beautiful. love to do this again in the future. Let's I do know. it if there Let's is such a thing. Book, All right, sure, when it comes out, I'll let you know and we'll we'll play some more. Hey, it's Justin here. I'd like to introduce a song I wrote. It's called Supernova Residue. I wrote it after reading Eugene's book. I was really inspired. Also, maybe you're feeling inspired to support the show and support what we're doing here. You can go to heavenlystreams.com slash nerveascending to save 10% on your supplements. Or you can go to patreon.com slash nerveascending and check out our offerings there. Or you can tell people about the show, how cool it is, if you think it's cool. Alright, here it is. Supernova Residue. Starting with the nothing now somehow becoming something We were lost in outer space Fluctuating on a bumping of the light upon the ether Radiating from a star Cavities of gravity were reaching out and grabbing me. They cheer me up with flattery, then chew me up with tragedy. We're twisted in a mystery, yeah, this is where we are. And we've been rising through the levels for a long, long time. For forever, so it seems to me.
impact of the icy Saturn waters gave a home to ancient ancestors to replicate their daughters from briny dips with tiny steps to live and toddle on. A timeless blue-green error in the ocean in the sun filling up the atmosphere with toxic oxygen an archaic fateful swallow and a new world had begun and we've been rising through the levels for a long long time for forever so it seems to me climbing up out of the supernova residue And so surprising The way it all just somehow ties in To the story of you To the story of me To the story of all that ever was And all that'll ever be And it all leads up to a Seems to 